0: You've gone for it. Okay, just get set and then we'll begin. Hello, I'm Danny Duran, and this is the Infinite Jigsaw podcast, a place for honest conversation, discovery, and a genuine incentive to improve sense-making. In today's episode, I'm very pleased to be joined by Father Thomas Pelham. Tom is an Anglican priest working in the pool area, and as well as ministering to his congregation, he also has a podcast called The Irreverend Podcast where he offers a Christian point of view on current affairs together with other colleagues, including Father Jamie Franklin, who has previously appeared on this podcast when we spoke about the wonder of wonderful faith. Tom, Jamie and Daniel speak frankly, and I found their conversations to be very refreshing and inspirational. Tom, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Danny. Great to be here. And good to have you here now. Jamie and I discussed the wonder of wonderful faith, which is a theme that I cooked up for that podcast, as I have this sense that there is a resurgent curiosity and and a reverence for Christianity emerging in some sections of our society. And I explained to Jamie that for many years, my view on Christianity was a a fairly dim one, in part thanks to uh, Mr. Hitchens, Dawkins and Harris, from whom I kind of absorbed an intellectual distaste, you might say. But then Jordan Peterson came on the scene, and I found a, a deeper conversation available um, to me via his Bible lectures, which yeah. actually piqued my curiosity and, and moved me into a, a, a space of reverence for for like the root and branch value system of Christianity. Um, but before I ask you your thoughts and some questions that have risen since my chat with Father Franklin, may I ask you if you have any sense of this renewed curiosity for Christianity?
1: I yes, I think so. I, I my main The main place I experienced this really was the March on the 26th of June, Mm. where um, a large number of people of all sorts came up and found me and and sort of onto the chat about irreverent, about how they'd been uh, sort of coming back to a sense of uh, of faith, of of the divine, um, of Christianity in some cases, some people from, you know, quite committed atheism. Um, Mm. So, yeah, I I think I saw it there amongst that sort of um, crowd um and i and I think uh which was actually a really representative crowd, one of the most extraordinary things about the twenty sixth was was just quite the you know i saw people there who were seventy year olds and some people there who were seven months old um mm-hmm. you know middle class you know people who were who were clearly um a, you know more manual workers, that sort of stuff. Everyone was mm. was represented there, which was great. So, yeah, and I got, a, you know, a real cross-section of that that sense of uh, people wanting to know if there are more answers. And I certainly think, yeah, I think that's probably indicative of, of something wider in, in society, although um, it's harder to, harder to, you know, those we don't have a conversation with, so to speak, it's harder to know quite where they are. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, and um, I think also that there is – and um, embarrassment's quite a strong word but there is a a reluctance um amongst some people that are feeling this curiosity to to, to talk about it with their friends and you know because you never quite know who is feeling this way and, and who is not and it's difficult to express um these Yeah there's there's a
1: bit of a taboo about speaking about mm. faith um it's it's interesting because, you know, coming as someone who's obviously, I've got plenty of secular friends, so to speak, who, who don't have much faith. And I do talk to them about my faith occasionally. Uh, but even for me, it feels awkward sometimes because, you know, some of the assumptions you make are simply not assumptions that they make, uh, mm. some of the the leaps. And also, you know, there's this the sense in which um, the kind of uh, philosophical, historical and mythical background to Christianity, um, which was once sort of part of education, maybe as recently as sort of 30 years ago it just isn't you can't assume it anymore you know people don't know the stories they don't know where we're coming from um, the assumption is a sort of uh, a sort of materialist uh, postmodern modern society um, very different way of looking at the world
0: yeah and you're absolutely right I'm 45 now and so 30 years ago when I was at school and, and before that I went to Christian schools and there was a lot of hymn singing, there was a lot of scripture, there was the local um, vicar used to come in every week etc and it was all very normal. Um, and my son uh, also, he's 13 now, but he went to a similar school but it was they were almost paying lip service to the Christian ideals and values, I mean there was no visiting vicar and there was hardly any hymns, there was a few bits and bobs plastered on the walls and they would do harvest festival but that's about it.
1: I think education is one place where it's sort of well, a sense in which it's it's gone further than much of the rest of society, uh, and I mean almost deliberately. I, I wouldn't. I mean, I'm I'm not quite a um a conspiracy theorist so to speak. In fact, I'm not. I wouldn't. I, I think I think those terms are probably not helpful to call anyone. But yeah. I I don't see a, I don't see a necessarily see a um kind of wider intention behind this. But I certainly feel that there's been. sort of inevitability behind other teachers becoming much more um, secularized, left wing, being attracted into that um, by other, you know, by the the prevailing culture, having, and and you end up with a situation where even schools that purportedly have a Christian uh, sort of foundation look very secular. They don't look that different. It's not always the case. Um, The school that I'm a governor at certainly isn't the case, but um, uh, on the wider society, um, I think it probably is
0: yeah, I agree, and um, I think that perhaps the the teachers in within this system are not deliberately trying to expunge the Christian values from from you know the the curriculum and the education system, but it might be a case of Jamie and I touching it of Father forgive them because they know not what they do, you know that I think that Christian values and what what they've given us um, uh, we take for granted so much that. Um, you, you, you can forgive some people for thinking that they've always been there and they will be there with with the church or without the church um but before we delve further I'm interested to hear about your journey into the church and a, a bit about your background if I may where
1: yeah did you of course. grow up
0: where, where are you from
1: um I'm from Southwest London so I grew up in um Surbiton uh, which is principally famous I think for being the uh the site of um that, that sort of 80s uh comedy um do you know the one I mean where the two people who, who sort of start a homestead in their back garden it's gone the out of my head life. the good life yeah that was, that was set and filmed <laughs> right. in Surbiton um uh other than that uh it's got a lovely art deco train station and not much else going for it but um yeah I grew up I grew up in Surbiton I um i i studied my, my first passion was music um and I went to university um to study music at bristol and i studied composition mm-hmm. uh pr- predominantly i i i do play various instruments but i I really wanted to learn uh the tools of composition so writing music uh and I stayed there for a number of years um and whilst I was there i guess um, my i mean i i have a christian sort of background my family my parents are churchgoers um And uh, I I sort of drifted away from that in my teens, as many people do. And then, when I was at university, I I started um, running a local church's choir, Uh, and um, and that really was the beginning of sort of my journey back into the church. It was great. Mm -hmm. So again, through music, um, gradually sort of discerning that my leadership—I was called not just the leadership in music, but a sort of wider teaching leadership in the church, um, and indeed ordained ministry came following through that and then uh, so then I went to eventually um, after spending uh, a number of years in the southwest which I absolutely love the southwest uh, um, I, I ended up a uh, director of music for Bradf- uh, Bradford-on-Avon which is a beautiful market town in um, in Wiltshire but from there I, um, I went to study at Oxford which is where I met Jamie And so that's how the sort of the podcast, the two of us who sort of founded the podcast met uh, studying theology at Oxford.
0: I see. Um, What were the best bits and some of the worst bits about studying to be a priest then?
1: I think the best bit for me, I really enjoyed being in community. Um, There was a sort of sense in which, you know, you don't get that anywhere else. a community dedicated to the academic study of God, to, to sort of forming lives around prayer, um, to living together as best as possible. But also the worst thing was also being in community. <laughs> and anyone who's ever lived in community knows that both of those, you know, there's great joys. There's also great uh, irritations, um, sort of uh, of being cheek by jowl with people, literally all the time. Um, the college I went to was called Cuddesdon. It's in a little village uh, about nine miles out of the center of Oxford. And it's quite isolated um mm-hmm. if you didn't have a car you had a um two and a half mile walk to the nearest bus stop <laughs> uh so you know it was you know there was sort of you, you 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 like it or lump it you were with these people um i loved studying i, I really uh, have really got it gives me great joy um pursuing knowledge uh, of any sort so uh, um studying theology was also really really interesting uh, and it was a great great privilege to be able to do another degree in it effectively so
0: um, yeah that was a that was a high point yeah excellent well let's stick on the studying bit and talk about scripture for for a mo um as much as my research tells me the etymology of the word bible translates to something like library and i guess therefore can be considered to be like a collaborative series of documents yeah in in one sense um
1: Certainly, there there are different documents in there um, and they do different things like any collection of books. Um, you've got histories, you've got moral tales, you've got hymns and wisdom. You've got biographies that um, they're all sort of in there.
0: If there are a collaborative series of documents, then they must have been curated by an editor or editors for, for continuity.
1: Well, there's an interesting question there. Um, I mean, I I would argue, I would say yes, I guess, but I would say sort of divine providence as much as it would would be would be the the key there. Um, So they were brought together um, different writings by different people at different times uh, by by God's will, by the will of the spirit um, working in the world um, through other people. So not only do I think that the individual documents are inspired, that's to say that people wrote them, were were inspired by God to write truth, uh, but also that. the 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 way they were brought together was also an inspired process that you know guided and led by god um but you are right i mean you have you have two obviously um I, most of you will know this already but you have two sort of two collections within the bible of the old testament which is the the um, uh the writings that were um inherited from the jewish faith and uh they uh, they they tell the story right the way up to um the return from the exile, pretty much you remember your sunday school the jews the jewish nation was uh, the, uh, israel was uh, taken away uh, by king nebuchadnezzar um, and then returned um uh, some uh, about a generation later uh, and then the new testament which are the stories the, the documents which came around about um uh, after the birth of christ and uh, the and indeed his his death um and resurrection and they tell his story um which they uh, assert and claim and, and you know, I see no reason uh not to think this that that, uh, that, he, that that he was the um the the person who the Old Testament had been pointing towards throughout the Old Testament this is idea of the Messiah um the, the one who God would send to um to to redeem Israel and um he, he claimed that title and uh he um fulfilled that role and the new testament then tells you that story so you, and that they the collection of books that make up the new testament were were written between approximately 40 and 160 AD mm-hmm. uh, and were pretty much solid uh, solid as a sort of canon by the end of that era so the, the idea that they sort of uh, that, that there was sort of lots left out or that there was sort of editorial choices made that to slant things in one way or another isn't isn't I think really tenable we sort of we we have those books because they were considered important from the moment they were written
0: okay because this is the leap of faith isn't it for 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 someone who's going to take the bible as seriously as it should be taken if you're a if you're a believer um in the sense that it is a collaborative document which you which you just said was was written over
1: well i mean the 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 entirety of the bible over a, a up to depending on which which scholars you 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 follow between um you could you could make a claim to 1500 years um, wow okay uh, some would put it much narrower to to 800 years or so um the, the 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 stories around moses in the earliest part of the bible um if if he wrote them and there's uh you know, again, there's evidence either way, Um, or at least if he if he was part of the oral tradition that was originally later wrote written down, which is quite likely. You know, that we're talking 1300 BC, and then the stories of Christ, um, the the latest book of the New Testament probably Hebrews, and that's probably mid first century. No, sorry, mid second century. So so yeah, 150, 160 AD. So you could say that that was the span of the Bible works. Wow. Um Well, okay. that, I mean, that again, that's a and that's a uh, that's a contentious. Other people will say that Hebrews was likely to be written by Paul, which puts it much earlier. And some would say, well, you know, there's always there's always going to be um, some some debate about when exactly things have been written. Uh, yeah. But like I say, the idea that they were they were worth preserving and contained true wisdom was, was one that was sort of discerned about them rather than sort of any one person decided, right, this is the, the books that are in the Bible.
0: That, I mean, that span of time. A book that was that was written over several lifetimes which claims to be the word of god but clearly was written down and edited by by man or by by many men that's the kind of leap of faith and that and that's why i guess that you you must lock into and you must believe that the process was driven by god's will yeah um, i although mean though the bible is actually very functional so you could be forgiven for for surmising that man um, wrote this for himself really to, to to order at the society
1: i mean maybe uh i mean you could i think um i mean yeah obviously there's a leap of faith um required F- for me the, the the bible would require quite a lot of coincidences to happen for it to be a sort of made-up story or simply just moral wisdom for example um the gospels um as a genre to hold that they were sort of fictional or um Or you would have to be have to imply really that they the the four gospel writers invented a genre 1500 years before the next person did it. You know, the idea of a Mm -hmm. fictional biography simply isn't one uh, of the sort we see in the Gospels was not um, was not one that was around at that time. I mean, you had, um, uh, you know, you, you just don't get it. They're the closest things like them are other people who are trying to tell stories about real people. Mm. Uh, so, so the idea, I think, you know, take a bit of a leap of faith that I think in some senses to think that they were trying to make make it all up. Now, of course, they could be mistaken, although why they'd make those claims and claim them to be true uh, if they didn't have themselves like a fairly close idea about it. And also we've got collaborating evidence So, like the letters of Paul are earlier than the Gospels. And they are, you know, they're, they're concordant with the, with the account we get in the Gospels. They're separate sources pointing to the same thing, which, again, uh, that, that Christ was was on this earth, that he died, that he rose again. Um, I mean, in a sense, uh, there is a leaf of faith. But in the other sense, like if just sort of assuming that they're not, that the that, that, that the Bible's not telling the truth requires other things to be other. You know, there are other problems with that view, I would say. It's not just as simple as all that.
0: Um no. No, it's um, it's a complicated thing to to think about and I like to just stay on scripture for a moment and the the function or or the dysfunction of it now Now the Bible is a collection of like hundreds and thousands of words and sentences Mm -hmm. and and every time we use a word we every time we write a word we categorize That's what we're doing we're putting a name to something but uh, for instance a cat is the being it is, regardless of us naming it. You know, the the earth is there, regardless of us naming it the earth. Yeah, yeah. So, so it seems we, as a species, we 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 have we must label things to bring order out of chaos. But as the strongest part of the religious experience is in the spiritual sensation, which should be wonderful, you know, full of wonder, meaning kind of impossible to explain or difficult to explain. I'd like to ask you if you think that scripture serves to clarify. The wonder of christianity or does it almost hold it down to the earthly experience a bit
1: i i mean i am not sure that there's any one answer to that i mean i think sometimes it, it clearly is um so sometimes it, it's it's sublime and other times it's 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 sort of human um right. throughout the scripture like i'm thinking of the psalms and the wonderful uh, psalm 19 um the heavens are telling the glory of god you know which is a transcendence thing to say mm. um uh on the other hand um you know other things are very human uh kind of moments in the bible um i'm thinking uh of the <laughs> there's a rather gory moment where uh, where one of the enemies of um israel is um is murdered by a woman with a tent peg and um i think to to draw a distinction quite so solidly between spiritual transcendent and and, and 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 imminence is not necessarily helpful because i think we are spiritual and we are physical beings as much as either one and you can kind of connect on both things yeah. um, but words are an interesting one because i mean obviously um we're sort of meandering into metaphysics which i know jamie's a big fan of um and certainly um certainly i'd agree that 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 words can point towards things that are bigger than than they are so to speak Um, the meaning of a word is contained is a bigger is a bigger thing than the word in its particular is used and um augustine says that that all words are signs which is which is true um because they're not ever the the thing they are um Mm. pointing to um they're always a distinct thing they're never an object themselves and sort of all meaning i think Comes from the word, the word of God, in a sense, which the Logos, uh, the, the, the sort of the, the incarnate word is Christ, of course, but the, but he, he is the sign that points to God uh, in fullness. Um, so he's the sign that that completely inhabits that which it points to in a way that our words can't. And, and I think it I don't think it's too much of a of a step to say that that sort of meaning sort of cascades down out of that point, you know, th- through mm-hmm. creation. That, that all things eventually point towards God uh, in in some way. Um, so so yeah, I, I, I which so which is another way of saying really that yes, the immanent and the transcendent are maybe a categories that that um, that aren't that helpful when you have a God that that has become incarnate that, that has provided a sign in this world. You know, Christ was born in in the blood and pain of childbirth and taken away in the in the blood and pain of the cross, um, in that sort of uh, that sense of fullness of humanity. Yeah. If that's an answer. I don't know if that is an answer.
0: (laughs) I think it is an answer. Um, Yeah. Thank you for kind of trying to untangle that religious um, enigma for me. Um, And I've I've got another one that I'm wrestling with. Now, Father Jamie and I just discovered that we support the same football team. Um, whilst Mm -hmm. we were chatting and that gives us another kind of flavour to our interactions we've got this shared passion and also shared disappointments but the less said about that the better but nevertheless we both have clear sight of of that particular institution but if i suddenly forgot which team was mine and had to make a decision on which team to support the abundance of choice would be really dizzying and i wonder if the same applies to this section of society i'm identifying as the emergent curious for christianity when it comes to denominations i mean there's catholic E, baptist anabaptist methodist anglican quakers mormons that one was seven seven in it or seventh day people
1: yeah 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 um, Seventh
0: day adventists. Yeah. adventists that's the one there, there's probably even more choice than there is teams in the premier league but how do you think people are to know which church is is theirs or for them
1: well i mean i obviously um <laughs> I think that the Church of England is for me. Um, and I think it's, you know, everyone has a Church of England church they can go to, uh, but they're not all. Um, so, you know, a bigotry plug aside. Um, mm-hmm. The key thing is to listen to your spirit, I think, to listen to your conscience, to go in there to see, see what it's like. Most of those churches have very little difference in um, how they approach the world. Um, uh, it's fair to say Uh mm-hmm. You know that the 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 key things will will still be there, um, and even within those churches, you get big differences in what's being taught. So what I teach is not necessarily the same as what the Church of England church down the road teaches. There's a sort of um, there's a sort of idea in Christianity about. Um, uh, the distinction between things that are first order, that's to say things that we all have to agree on and things that, that aren't of that order, which, which you could call adiaphora, um, which are things unnecessary or, or things mm-hmm. indifferent. Uh, and most of the disagreements between Christian denominations are in things indifferent. So in a sense, as long as you're, you're sort of whole, as long as the, the word of God is being preached, as long as the sacraments are being celebrated, baptism is being uh, performed and uh, the bread and wine of communion are being shared, then what you've got there is a church and it's part of the universal church it's part of the body of christ um uh if one of those two things isn't happening then it's not a church and you should stay away from it so <laughs> if you yeah. Yeah.
0: so there's there the fundamentals so i was going to ask you what what do you think the uh, the the fundamental connective tissue between the denominations are do you, do you think it is baptism for, for
1: uh, b- baptism the eucharist and the uh the sharing, the preaching the preaching of the true word of God. So um I mean that, that's pretty much a definition straight out of what they're called the thirty-nine articles, uh, which are the foundational um documents of the Church of England. And basically one of them says, what is a church? Well the church is a group of people where the word of God is preached truly, the sacraments are are um are celebrated. Um and it, it doesn't then say any must be a church of England or Catholic or whatever. It actually just says, you know, remarkably for that time of which was obviously a time of great religious upheaval it, it, it basically says any anything any, anywhere where those things are happening is a church and i think that holds true to today
0: and do you think there's any chance in the future of any of these denominations coming together again and joining again
1: well i mean certainly in terms of uh the the super long term because i believe that when christ comes and he, he will heal all the divisions that have um that have happened Um, you know Christianity isn't isn't just looking back it's looking forward as well we're sort of um, we're we're sojourners in this world so to speak we're looking forward to a uh, we're moving through it we know we're not at home in it um, because we know that our true home will be with Christ when when the the heavens and earth are remade Um, but um, yeah so in that sense yes in the sense of you know in in human history uh, you know I I strongly doubt it. Um, (laughs) It would be, uh, I mean, you you, you might get people, churches coming closer together, healing some wounds. uh, But, you know, for example, we're never going to see the Church of England and the the Roman Catholic Church um, mend the divisions between them. Because even though I think they are adiaphora, indifferent, I think they're important still. You know, it doesn't mean to say that I agree with them. I, I couldn't hold that myself. But i can accept that there are still saved christian church despite the fact they hold it if you see what i mean yeah yeah
0: it is the the fact that we live in a time where a subscriber to the catholic tradition and someone who is um to the church of england can share you know can be neighbors that they, they, they can observe a shared value system and they're not a loggerheads of each other for religious reasons i mean that's got to be as nearly as good as the conjoining of both institutions isn't it P- the peace between the believers
1: yeah i think there's something to be said for that yeah definitely um it's it's you know no one should be proud of the persecution between you know different different christian sects it, it was it was awful it was uh, ungodly and um there was blame on every side uh but now i think um you know, to, to cooperate and to pray with, the, with with other denominations is is a great joy.
0: So that segues nicely into something I want to talk to you about, and that's uh, forgiveness and also resentment. Um, in my life, thankfully, I've just had a very few occasions where I've been in a position uh, whereby a person has treated me so badly that I have felt a near hatred and resentment and um, I've got to tell you that these feelings are really horribly spiritually debilitating. And I feel that if the person would have faced up to their hurtful actions uh, and asked for forgiveness, then in that moment, all the ill feeling and resentment would kind of dissolve. Yeah. I was I wondered if you think it's possible to forgive someone who either does not think that they have done anything wrong or can't bring themselves to admit it. Can we forgive if forgiveness isn't asked for?
1: I mean, we, we certainly can um, the Lord's Prayer, of course, says, uh, "Forgive our, uh, you know, forgive our trespasses, as we forgive the trespasses yeah. of others." It's fairly unconditional. It's not to say it's easy. Uh, I don't think it's always possible, you know, in the immediate term. And I, and I think sometimes it takes a long, long time mm-hmm. to heal and certainly it's made easier by people seeking forgiveness and admitting faults, um, which is why like the other half of that, um, of the Lord's prayer is really important you know, that you, you yourself say, you know, I need forgiveness. So I will try and forgive other people in the same way. Yeah. Um, that said, we're not a, um, we're not, we're not a religion of, you know, you must do this in order to, um, to be saved or to have a relationship with God because, um, you know, like anything else, uh, seeking an uh, sorry, uh, offering forgiveness is is a is a work in a sense it's something we we do so therefore you don't need to do anything to be saved by christ he's done everything for you um and um so so on the one hand while it's good to do it and it will bring us closer to christ it's not essential to do it uh to to forgive people because um if it was essential to forgive people then no you know no one is perfect at forgiveness other than christ um, and no one would end up uh being able to um to know him properly Mm -hmm. um i guess uh i guess i have seen some examples of enormous moments of forgiveness which which are really powerful um Mm -hmm. there's there's one lady in my church whose um husband was um was uh gunned down by the ira he was a he was a um serving military officer uh whilst she was in whilst on leave in the house um on on the front doorstep and she she's managed to forgive those people um who did that and that's an inc- incredible mm-hmm. piece of forgiveness that she's she's been able to do um, and you know it, I think it witnesses to her faith and her um, a, and that's for any, as much as anything else for, for, for herself that didn't become a sort of uh, something that gnawed at her and also for her the way that it shows other people how to live a a fruitful um, forgiving life um, are two really good reasons to seek to forgive I mean yes ideally we forgive people without them asking ideally that's what happens practically that can be really hard but if it can be done if we can let go of it it does show people the grace of God flowing through us in a way that is really powerful
0: yeah and and that's why it's it, it is so powerful because it's so difficult to do yeah yeah um this lady that um has forgiven the the ira um gunman has she found much personal peace through oh
1: I, I i'm certain i'm certain she has yeah yeah
0: yeah so it in uh, forgiveness is powerful in the sense that it can put all parties at rest absolutely no matter yeah. how culpable and in which direction well staying on forgiveness for a while longer We we live in a world of of real deep division now, Tom, and um, and polar opinion on really heavy subjects. So as an example, let's just take the vaccine, which I'd like to cover in detail a bit later. But it's a good example of a split opinion on one huge topic. Now, you would expect a verdict at some point in the future on whether this experimental vaccination was the correct course of action or not. And I wonder what will happen to the minds of those who will ultimately end up being on the on the losing side of this high stakes argument. And no matter which way you look at it, lobbying for children to be vaccinated with an experimental drug is high stakes, no matter if it's the correct course of action or not. But what happens when one side is like proved wrong, proved to be incorrect, and not, not just technically incorrect, but morally incorrect, if say the advocates of child vaccination are ultimately confuted and by their actions have caused irreparable damage to a generation, then you might presume that the shame that they would undergo would be unbearable. So I think that as we're in this time of polarised opinion and unknowns, we kind of got to be aware that at some point in the future there will be a verdict and the winners can either forgive, which we've been discussing, or what's much worse, vilify and berate. Do you see this situation looming?
1: Well, I, I think it's here already to a degree. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I, I think uh, on, on the—I've just been looking at um, the news today, and we've got, um, you know, the 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 president of the Philippines saying, "For all I care, you can die any time." To the to the vaccinated to the unvaccinated people, you know, mm-hmm. the 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 moral problems around lockdown uh, and around um, vaccination and around uh, all all of the things that go with it are are notable because they've not been dealt with at all. Um we've been we the government have, have entered into a thoroughly utilitarian way of looking at the world, mm. um which is not necessarily uh, a very good way of looking at the world, not least because it's impossible to calculate the uh, the damages on either side of of, of the the equations. So mm. sort of it's a it's a false utilitarianism. Um but um how do how do we go around you know i, I spoke to laura dodsworth a bit about this in our podcast with her and um you know how how are we going to start seeing the reconciliation that that, that we're going to need um because if we turn to vilification then then the society will break down in, irreparably uh, and we see that already you know when 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 the, the, the philippines can say that to unvaccinated yeah. people society will break down because you can't treat people like that um now I, I kind of i really hope um on the subject of child vaccination in particular that that even you know i i I've, to be honest i i i'm quite i i'm quite ambivalent about whether the vaccine works or not it doesn't really bother me that much my problem is coercion mm-hmm. uh, and the attempts of the government to force people to take it for a variety of reasons uh, which don't make any sense um, which is what the letter we said really you know even if it does if it does work that's great those who want to take it can take it why should it matter those who you know um th- that people don't want to and and that kind of that balance of, of risk to reward obviously becomes precarious with when it, when you it, you probably don't even have to get to children probably people in their 20s and 30s yeah um, if you're healthy so the the idea of, of of vaccinating people who um who haven't uh have no risk from the virus at all um is absurd you wouldn't do it with flu because there's obviously downsides to the vaccines even if they do on the whole work so i i'm fairly confident actually that that we that are reckoning for this um And I I really hope that that we're not going to see, you know, that'd be a disaster, wouldn't it, if if we saw like real serious long term effects from the the, the vaccines. And that would be sort of the literally the worst case. And it'd be very hard to know quite where to go from that, especially if we had vaccinated everyone. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I think um, I'm hopeful that we won't see that case. In fact, I don't think the case against child vaccination relies on that. It, It simply relies on the immediate harm. And also the idea that the first do do no harm, you know, you you don't put people through painful procedures and, you know, in the quite large cases, you know, people get painful arms or, you know, immediate side effects from the vaccines that are mild, but you don't put people through even mild symptoms for no gain to themselves. Uh, It's a, it's a starting point in medicine. So, but yeah. um, Yeah. I I just, I just hope and pray that we don't see any long-term serious long-term effects because it would be, Uh, I I hate uh, I hate to think what might happen. So my my worry is actually not that the government will mandate um, vaccines for children. It will be that the pressure from children will grow to the point where the government just says, all right, then. Um, because we know that the children can be can be affected by fear and if they've been told that the only way out is to be vaccinated and uh, that if they're not being vaccinated they're being selfish and killing grannies mm-hmm. then then you know the, the government's done its job already which is why using fear like that is deeply unethical you know mm-hmm. uh, because because it means that the rational choice the actual rational choice is taken away and especially in the case of children where they they you know this this idea that children are as rational as adults um, is, is is a modern one, you know, and it, and it's not mm. it's not a traditional way of looking at children. Children, childhood is a time to make mistakes, to be not held to opinions, to to play. Um, Rowan Williams talks about this in uh, his book Lost Icons. You know, we've lost the idea that childhood is a time of play, uh, where you can where you don't get things, you don't get held to things you say and do because you need to practice taking positions. You know, if you see what I mean, uh, you need to practice um, having opinions before, you know, as an adult, you come out and, you, and you, you're you, you formed. Um, so uh, so my worry is that it will be t- t- pressure from from children due to the fear they've been put through and it won't be resisted uh, because um, people will just go, well, they want it. So they should have it. Whereas it should be going, well, they don't have the full um, capacity to to make this decision. Uh, so they shouldn't have it because it's dangerous. <laughs>
0: But yeah. anyway, uh. yeah, well, that's that's my way of thinking. And it's not the, um children or childhood has changed. It's the um, it, the adults have changed and the position of adults have yeah. changed. I can really see a, um, a situation coming up where by there's an option to get vaccinated if you're a child and the, the parents say to the children, do you want it or not? They ask a child. Um, a question which is way beyond their means of reckoning and should not be asked because it's too heavy a question. Yeah. Um, but I think that I think that might well happen.
1: I worry that that will be the way they do it, not through not through um, compulsion, but simply through playing along with the fear that has been consistently used um, against the population. And I think that's that's just fundamentally morally unsound because it stops you being able to make rational choices as yeah. as a population.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Well, let me move on. Um, and I've, I've got a question. Uh, it's kind of related about subjugation. Um, I've been observing the recent behaviour of, of crowds as a response to this pandemic. And one thing that's really surprised me, Tom, is the inclination of the majority to be subjugated by mainstream media, by big social media and by the government. And it seems that any narrative approved by one of these um Or all of these ruling bodies is taken as unquestionable and something that must be adhered to. And Jamie and I spoke about a second pandemic, which is running concurrent to COVID, that being the pandemic of timidity. But I wonder if from a religious point of view, it is actually no surprise that people have a disposition to desire um, instructions and regulations, because these are the devices of control that religion would have mastered way back. Do you think that humans have a deep desire, actually, to, to give their sovereignty over to hierarchical rule?
1: I think I think that's a that's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, yes, I, my, my mind is immediately taken to the golden calf of um, Exodus. I don't know if you okay. um, if you know the the story when they get to when when Moses is um, when the Israelites escape. Egypt. They, Moses takes them to Mount Sinai, where he yeah. receives the law of the Lord. And he goes up the mountain, and he's gone for a long time, um, communing with God and uh, being in God's presence. Uh, and in the meantime, the Israelites um, get impatient, uh, and they um, they start worshiping a golden calf. They 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 take all their golden jewelry and melt it and, and form a calf and um, start worshiping it and um moses comes down with the, the 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 tablets of the 10 commandments in his hands and and gets furious with them because that you know they he's only been gone 40 days and they've already started worshipping another god not not the god that saved them mm-hmm. um and uh which is which interests me is sort of uh, what the golden calf in this matter is is i think um pro- probably a, a good metaphor for you know it looks simpler it looks easier it looks shiny the narrative of the government you're doing this to save other people Mm. um it looks like you know it's much harder to say look the responsibility lies with you you know um and people uh have have gradually um lost that capacity to to to, to discern risk for themselves and for others um and um and so they love being told what to do um it's, it's it's much more and i know you chatted about this with um with uh, dick Denningpole, didn't you it's much more mm-hmm. uh, um brave new world than 1982 you know the, the willing the people willingly subjugate themselves because it seems easier uh it's the sort of the 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 end point of um uh of that sort of fordian capitalism uh which he sees now i'm um, yeah so i i th- part of it is that i think it's easier to be told what to do um, and over the last ooh, 20 years, gradually more and more of our lives is being told what to do by other people. Um, you know, HR, health and safety, um, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. So we lose the capacity because you don't, if you don't exercise something, you lose the capacity to, 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 to judge your own risk. Yeah. Um, and you don't even want to, you want to be told what's safe and what isn't.
0: Um, and dissent becomes rarer in a, in a, in an orthodoxy. Yeah. You know, we're, that's that's my my sense at the moment is that anybody who has, has an outlying point of view or who just doesn't jump at the at the narrative is being marginalized to such a point where they're turning it in on themselves. You know, I've, there's been a couple of people that I have always thought have been extrovert in their character and throughout the last 18 months. They've kind of changed and turned inward on themselves because I don't think that, that they can in our modern society can actually express their their natural disposition to dissent and to um, and to be a, a voice that doesn't go along with the flow do you think that this might be something that's actually happening to people at the moment and driving them a bit mad
1: yeah well i think mental health is a real issue at this moment and uh you know i i think the community is not an optional extra to being human it's a out of the it's part of the core of it and um you know, uh, I think this is the truth that Christianity offers: is that we we are we only know each other, you know, when, when we meet together. In in, um, I mean, it's become highly ritualized. But the the Eucharistic sacrament that is is the uh, bread and wine. It's a meal. It's a gathering mm-hmm. for a party. You know, um, effectively. Uh, I mean not not obviously a, a, a sort of riotous one but you know it's supposed to be a, a time of joy where we're where we're together eating and drinking together and, and in communion um, and literally communion is another name for it um so the idea that this is an optional extra that the government can just switch off in order to prevent disease it, it you know you, you may as well say you know our legs are an optional extra that the government can hack off to mm-hmm. to um to whenever it fancies and stick them back on again you know it's 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 gonna damage people um in ways that is not um But it's not foreseen. Um, And I think it's going to damage people psychologically. It's going to damage people spiritually. It's going to damage people physically. uh, And we've seen that kind of to a degree um, already. Like all this worries about um, the RSV um, virus, you know, uh, because we weren't mingling in the normal time, in the normal way, other viruses have, we haven't built up the normal herd um, immunity to other viruses, which are now going to come back with a vengeance. Um, New Zealand are seeing that. And, um, you know we we protect each other by being together it's not we're not we're not disease laden um creatures that need to stay apart we we're essentially um part of a greater whole um and you know uh i think this is this is one of the truths that people find attractive about christianity and it's something that the church should be shouting from the from the from the um from the rooftop it's not not just uh you know uh we should be allowed to meet again but rather that meeting is not it's not bad it's it's not it's not a it's not a dangerous thing to do but actually it's an essential and hallowed part of life um i, I long for the day where you look at a crowded par uh crowded bar and you know it's not it's not got bad press you know it's, before you know 18 months ago a crowded bar meant that bar was a good place you know uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> a busy pub meant the pub was good uh now it means that they're uh the dens of iniquity as people uh, take scurrilous risks yeah. with, with their lives and the lives of others. Well, Hetry that's not true
0: of disease.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's not true. Um, it's, it's, it's unhelpful. It's inhuman. And um, it, that that's a narrative that needs to turn around. Um, and until it turns around, we're not going to be back to normal.
0: Yeah. And that's what I mean about the outliers and the dissenters that usually would be the voice that would help turn this, turn the ship around. They're just uh, being stamped on at the moment. And I, I agree with your, your prediction that down the line and not too far down the line, the damage that this is done uh, psychologically and physically is going to come on top because this is a trauma. As soon as this happened, I, I said to a friend, this is worse than 9-11 easily. This is such a trauma and we're in the infancy of it. But it's just like a child. If you tr- mistreat a child, then yeah, their behaviour will display um, symbols of that mistreatment whilst they're a child, but it will come out in adulthood. And that's what's going to come out um, yeah. in, in a year's time, two years time, three years time, no matter if the vaccine is a good is a good or bad thing. And what happens from that? The psychological effects will, will come out in the generations after. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Well, let me ask you. Uh, a penultimate question and I want to double back. I know we've laboured it a bit, but probably not enough because it's so important. And that's vaccine and also persecution because we're about there in the conversation. And this is something about the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. And, and you've already spoke about Philippines and, and what that uh, the guy shouldn't even be a leader, that is just reprehensible. Um, now, present moment, Tom, I am not vaccinated. So that's me choosing to divulge my personal medical status. And I've not um, taken the opportunity to have the experimental drug plunged into my bloodstream because as yet, I can find no overwhelming argument that would convince me to roll up my sleeve. Um, For instance, my meager research and observations tell me that I'm not at dire risk from succumbing to COVID-19 myself. So I wouldn't be taking the experimental drug to my own health benefit. And I can also find no sound and consistent argument that says by taking the drug, I'm saving the lives of others, which, and if you've mentioned this before, which if you looked at from a utilitarian point of view, would only actually qualify if that group were the majority. So my logic kind of places me in the social group of the unvaccinated by choice, in inverted commas. And so I've been keeping a keen ear out for any signs of derision for this group. And in my recent experience, there is plenty of derision bubbling and persecution and discrimination is essentially upon us so i'm sure the church can teach us about persecution and where it takes society what are your thoughts here on actually the end game of this persecution
1: yeah we need to be really careful as a society that we don't end up um in the sort of same you know in the in the same way of thinking really as as they did um in say medieval times where they you know the lepers weren't allowed in the church um mm. Uh, Christ transcended these boundaries of course Um, he touched the unclean he 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 healed the those who were sick but he actually constantly transgressed the the boundaries of of the Jewish cleanliness uh, code and I think it's really um, interesting uh, seeing uh, how how those two things sort of sort of uh link up quite nicely so the the cleanliness code of the, of the jewish people um uh, that was in place in the time of christ for example would um if you uh, became unclean you you could become unclean by proximity so just touching for example a dead body would, would bring a uncleanliness onto you and you would need then to undergo ritual cleansing uh in order to become clean and part of society again and and i really see a a, a good um uh a parallel here. Like, you know, you, even if you don't have COVID, if at the moment, if you touch someone or if you're in close contact with someone who does, even if you never catch it, you're expected to do ritual cleansing uh and taken away. Uh, you know, well, Christ mm-hmm. transgressed all of that. He touched everyone. He he um he went he went to places which w- with dead people in them, which would have defiled him. He um he allowed people who um who were ritually unclean to touch him, uh like the woman who was um suffering bleeding problems and he healed them and, and in each case the healing was physical but it was also mental and spiritual as well um, you know go go and sin no more um, your sins are forgiven uh, that weight is off you you're you're it's no longer about who's clean and unclean but simply everyone in christ um in with faith in his name being cleansed through his cleanliness um And um, to me, this this provides a really good way of looking at at the sort of vaccinated, unvaccinated thing, because, you know, if we're not careful, we will end up in a situation where it's sort of you're a pariah if you're not if you're not double vaccinated. And um, and I think that's, you know, that's a place where the Christian church needs to Mm. strongly speak out against because everyone is fundamentally human. You know whether and, and it i mean it makes no sense as as we sort of said already, it makes no sense logically um because we know that the vaccines don't prevent transmission mm. and even if they cut down transmission there you know it's still it's still clearly not enough to um to prevent covid spreading so um so really the the, the there's no particular reason that, that there should be this- div- division in society indeed, the original idea of the government appears to have been. You know, we will vaccinate those who are vulnerable uh, and, uh, you know, because it looks like the vaccines do successfully um, protect them. Uh, If you are very vulnerable to COVID, then the vaccine should give you um, some protection against that. Uh, But the the equation changes radically if you're you're not vulnerable. And like you, I I made exactly the same choice and exactly the same equation. I'm not vulnerable to COVID. Um, I'm not worried by it. I'd rather have natural immunity to it, which is likely to be longer lasting and more holistic um and uh so i'm you know i'm, I'm happier you know I'm, I'm not prepared to be to be vaccinated at this moment uh especially at least until um the vaccines are um past their sort of full full normal trials uh and i don't think that's unreasonable
0: um no it's not it's not unreasonable at all. But how would you advise people with the either Christians, the practicing Christians, or people that have the the value system about this point of making pariahs out of their friends or family because they're not vaccinated or they're not double vaccinated? Because no technical argument is going to win them over. There's so much good and bad information, and everybody reckons they're a an epidemiologist or a you know a, a, a whatever.
1: Yeah, I mean, my my first point is is actually not. Uh, I think it's, it's concordant with Christianity, but it's not strictly argued from Christianity is that, you know, do you really want to live in a society where Mm. your freedoms are contingent on, on enough people taking up medical procedures? Because is that the sort of society you, you want? And when you put it that way, most people go, well, no, actually, no, that's not the sort of society I want. Uh, because I mean, historically the sort of societies where that has been the case have not been good societies to be in. Uh, and, um, you know, and th- that's my starting point, really. You know, we, we are free not because of our vaccines. We're not free because uh, of, of of the NHS having capacity. We're not um, free because of COVID being in uh, remission, so to speak. We're free because we were born free and our freedoms come uh, as acknowledged from, uh, from our sort of birthright as humans. Uh, and that is a Christian point, because freedom mm-hmm. is something that god gives us it 's our god given freedom to um to pursue uh life in all its fullness that 's what christ came came to offer us um, and I, I and I need to do a little bit more thinking about this actually a, a group of um, clergy which i 'm a member of are going to be doing um some work on this and just sort of uh, uh you know um a, defense, a christian defense of free freedom that doesn 't come oh, across doesn't come across uh as a sort of uh, neo con sort of uh, um, justification but i do, you know because you don't need that because because it, it's you know we've got to play to the got to play to the crowd and and people are very suspicious of now of freedom for the sake of freedom it's no longer you know you, you, you can't assert any longer for example um that those who give up liberty to gain security. Uh, deserve sort of neither as, as Stanley Johnson said because you know people are quite happy they've already made that 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 bargain whether they deserve it or not they've given it up mm. uh, whether they'll get it or not they've given it up so we need to start where they are really and just I think um, but I think you know a, a defense of freedom a, a Christian defense of freedom is so important
0: yeah of course I I completely agree with you there and I do think that getting through to people um it doesn't lie in the technical it lies in the uh, moral and spiritual arguments yeah. which which can land quite easily with people because of the value system that they undeniably have or share yeah um, and that's so when you're doing your work with these colleagues i mean the, the work i'm doing with carbon mike who's the founder of foundationism uh, when he calls that uh, a political movement for people who build things for a living we're very careful to actually give people some practical advice and I, I, don't, I would like to see from the church, and from church leaders, some practical advice on how you can talk about this thing with people that have got differing opinions. How you can really bring it down to a spiritual and a, and a moral argument that they can basically goes gives them nowhere to nowhere to go. Do you see what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, I quite agree. Um, and it's it's going to be really important to to um, to not fall into the traps of. Um, that have been laid for us. So, uh, and, and the media have done this deliberately, um, sort of by conflating various things unfairly. So, yes. one thing I'm very wary about is is going anywhere near, for example, ivermectin. I think it probably is worth looking at as a drug, but it's it's you know it's become code now in the media for here's a nutter. May as well talk about 5G with him, you know. Yes. So, um, so you know, even though I I think it probably needs looking at and it needs to be given a good proper. Uh, chance um the the fact is that that coming out like uh, about that would would just Mm. would just discredit us um so we need to be really careful um about things like that and you know um that that's 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 one thing that that i think certainly um
0: we're thinking about yeah i agree um the media can pick up anything like ivermectin and smear it but what they can't do is they can't smear good old fashioned morals and spirituality no, and exactly. things like Love yeah. Thy Neighbour.
1: The problem is, I guess, that things like Love Thy Neighbour then become they have been twisted by people who in favour of, of of the of the government's response to say, oh well if you love your neighbour you you'd take a vaccine. Um which is not which Okay is not do unto others
0: as you had done yeah, as you would have done to exactly. yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um but um but even you know all of these things they need to be but I think uh I think at the core uh, uh, that we're we're working on developing a, a really strong moral argument against it, and it's not actually that hard, because uh, because mm. the, the moral arguments for lockdown are very weak, and the moral arguments against it are quite easy to make in a sense, uh, if 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 you're in any way familiar with ethics, um, because when when it comes to it, um, lockdown is, is 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 a sort of large scale trolley problem wherein we, we we take a we take a, a, a we pull that lever to try and divert um, deaths in one way but we cause them in another way and it doesn't really matter whether that works or not because we've always but because pulling that lever as a moral choice has always been considered to be only really justifiable under the most um, the crudest sort of utilitarianism and any you know um mm, mm. so you know on a, on a very basic level the idea that, that you do something that causes undefined damage but almost certain uh certainly causes death and destruction in order to avert other deaths um is 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 something that, that leaders should should step away from it's exactly why the pre-pandemic planning uh suggested that such a such a move would not be recommended because it wasn't sure we couldn't be certain what the results would be yeah. um but yeah yeah
0: Yeah, well, I'm so pleased we've had this discussion. And my my last question was going to be um, about a plan. I mean, we've spoken about scripture, finding your place in religion, forgiveness, resentment, subjugation. um, And these are all uh, is to help me, uh, been a great help in making sense of the world as it is now. But I was going to say there comes a time when theory must be put into practice. um, And if we're going to take action against the things that we're railing against, what do we think that looks like but you you you're already on it with um, with your colleagues um, Yeah. and uh, how did the list go as well that you did uh, 1500 um uh vicars was it that signed the list um, yeah
1: i mean that was the vaccine passport the vaccine uh, passport yeah i mean uh I mean, in one sense, not very well, I guess, in, in as much as the government seems to have still managed to bring in vaccine passports, the fact, the fact they said they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, um, you know, I think it's 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 that out of that list coalescing sort of this this uh, this group of colleagues who who I, I hope will will be able to do something together. Um, the other thing, of course, is um, you know, I, I mean, everyone ought to be writing to their MP <laughs> regularly. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of doing things, go, going on the marches. I mean, I, I went. On, I've only been on one. It's quite a long way to London from Paul, um, but I, you know, I think it was it was a great moment to be stood up and be counted. Um, and I, and it, that was part of me doing things, I guess. Um, but yeah, um, you've got to move. Uh, you're right, uh, and I think we need to move from um, from simply talking shops to um, to, to, to definite action. Um, and you know, in, in a sort of in the in the moral sphere. Yeah.
0: And do you think uh, there there is a definite place for um, reaching a hand across the aisle and reconnecting with people that you once um, thought that you were completely on the same page with? But then opinions have been skewed or is it a, I worry that people are, are starting to stick with like minded individuals and forming small groups and, and getting further away from reaching across the aisle? Because it is very difficult at the moment. Yeah, I mean, my I've i've
1: done that gently with a number of people um because uh i you know i feel it's important to to gently question these things together and and i think it's about finding common ground um really so rather than saying uh you know this was all you know an evil visited upon us um i i say things like um uh, I think it was a little bit of an overreaction. What do you think? You know, uh, and you work from there really, and you gently yeah. rehabilitate the idea that lockdowns aren't the be-all and end-all, um, the, the the vaccine uh, doesn't make sense. You know, drop those 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 certifiable things into the conversation. You know, if you're vaccinated, you can still catch it, you can still pass it on. The government themselves are saying that these days. You know, but doesn't that mean the vaccine passports are pointless? You know that's the, that's the logical thing and you know if you can chop those things in and i think most people w- would agree with them but just gently you know yeah very um, gently
0: yeah that that's just about it then i'm really really thankful and pleased that you've come on to talk to me for uh, for this hour um where can we find the irreverent podcast online
1: uh at irreverent pod on buzzcloud i think uh, also we can you can find us as Patreons um and um we're on Patreon at river and pod, uh, I think that's right. Jamie does all the do adverts normally, so i don't have to say them you know uh yeah i th- I believe Buzzcloud at a river Pod will find us, but we're also on iPlayer. we're on youtube um and again and well, yeah. um with our video feed, so uh do come and listen um it'll be great and i'll um i'll send i'll'll I'll put a little thing up on our um on our uh Patreon and send people this way as well to have a listen because they may be interested so thank you very much You're very um, welcome
0: Tom. I'm very welcome indeed um would you please do a little prayer to finish
1: yeah of course um heavenly father we ask your blessings upon all listeners to this podcast we give thanks for the things we've talked about we pray that as we discern your will for this world that we might enter more deeply into your word in faith and spirit amen
0: amen thank you very much tom much appreciated i hope to speak to you again um, sometime in the next few months thank you danny cheers then
1: for more episodes The Infinite Jigsaw Podcast, including The Great British Piss Take with comedian Simon Evans, Huxley's Brave New World with Dick Dellenpool, The Wonder of Wonderful Faith with Father Jamie
0: Franklin, and The Foundationist Manifesto 10-Part Series. Please go to YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or just search for The Infinite Jigsaw Podcast in your browser.